The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. To the Roadwire Prospect Podcast, I'm Clay Link, along with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Special edition of the show today, James. We just got back from Arizona, from First Pitch, Arizona. Big thanks to everybody at HQ Baseball HQ. That is Ray Murphy, Brent Hershey, all the speakers, attendees. Always one of the best weekends of the year. Love talking baseball and just hanging with like-minded people. Yeah, that's that's my favorite part every year. Is just getting to you know have some face-to-face baseball talk with people that I you know I hang out with a lot on Twitter but uh, this is really the only time of year I get to see most of these people so it's it's great to talk prospects with the other prospect guys at different sites uh, great to just talk baseball in general and, and even you know non-baseball related stuff with with some of my favorite people in the industry I mean it's a, it's a great time of year the baseball is is great but honestly I, I sort of value the uh, the time with the other people in the industry the most yeah it's not like we get a big window to see these guys it is great to get eyes on some of the top young talents and they're always there. You know, I was looking through the, the media guide there for the Fall League, and every year since 93, one or both of the rookies of the year have been there in the Fall League the previous year. So really turning out great talent year after year. And 
you know, getting to see these guys ahead of time is always awesome. You were part of the the HQ forums there, and you really had a great panel with I think Lar Michaels and uh, Chris Blessing. It's kind of talking how the sausage gets made in terms of ranking prospects. Do you want to give like a brief overview of what you guys discussed? Yeah, I think we we were all kind of coming from sort of the same place. You know, one of the most important aspects to me is age versus level. Uh, you know, blessing is, is great. I mean, you should definitely check out his work. If you're not already, he's with Baseball HQ. But, uh, you know, I think he approaches it uh, as much as he can from a traditional sort of scouting standpoint. You know, he's on the road a lot, gets to see a lot of these guys. Uh, but I mean, you know, doesn't get to see everyone. So, you know, I know going in, I'm not going to be able to, you know, even see 15, 20% of these guys in a, in a season when I'm ranking them. So that's, that's kind of less of the calculus for me. I mean, a lot of it is just, uh, the reports that are, that are publicly available mixed with my own, uh, kind of biases and scouting reports, just kind of how they're doing. Um, I mean, it's, it's really kind of more art than science for me. Uh, Laura goes at it from just a strictly numbers standpoint. He's got his own kind of formula that sort of spits out uh, his rankings and, you know, that, that works for him. I think that all different ways of doing it are, are valuable uh, to people that are, that are kind of looking at prospects for dynasty league purposes, but it was fun to just kind of tell, the the people in the audience you know how we kind of go about it i mean we were kind of only scratching the surface but um it was it was a lot of fun yeah i thought that was really informative i enjoyed that and if you've never been to first pitch can't recommend it enough always great if you're especially if you're a fantasy baseball head if you're just a baseball head i mean hell it's great even so but uh, fantasy baseball it's almost a must and we also did a you know before we get into the actual guys we saw we also did a, a draft you and i on that first day we were there, and we talked about it a lot on the, the four-man live pod we did later in the day, but do you want to talk about any youngsters you picked up in that one? Yeah. You got sh- a Cunha. Sure. I mean, it, it's, it I guess was, it's a good segue to it, Ronald. Yeah, Cunha. yeah. It was, you know, I'll be, I'll be up front. It wasn't a, uh, a, a league that required a financial commitment. This was, you know, kind of probably the most low-stakes league I'll do all year. And the first one I'll do all year. And from the, coming, kind of coming from that angle, I wanted to try some things out. I explored how good of a team I could put together if I didn't jump on one of the top 20 or so starting pitchers. And so, you know, I went Carlos Correa, Manny Machado, Reese Hoskins in the third round, uh, Byron Buxton in the fourth round. I think you could definitely look at those two, compare that to, to ADP and say that those were reaches. But uh, those are two guys I, I really believe in, uh, believed in, you know, before last season, believe in going forward. Uh, I think it's a nice pairing cause it's kind of taking care of speed and, and taking care of power and back-to-back picks. Then, uh, yeah, Ronald Acuna in the eighth round, 108 overall. Uh, you know, I think his average range right now is kind of in the 10th or 11th round. I took him the eighth round, but, and you know, I think, it's going to depend on the type of league. I mean, this was a 50 man roster uh, draft and hold league. So I think you can reach a little bit more on upside. You don't have to be as dependent on, on floor because you're going to have such a deep bench. Uh, But I think in, you know, I think in a lot of pro 
you know, high quality 12 and 15 team leagues, you're going to see people a little hesitant to, to pay that price on Acuna. Whereas I think in a lot of public leagues, uh, I think by the time March rolls around, he will be going in the, the eighth or ninth round. So this was this was definitely a reach based on the current climate we're in in terms of ADP. But I think come March, this is probably where you're going to have to take him. Yeah, it was all about format for me as well and my approach to, to the draft. Just getting guys, you know, with, with some upside after outside of the first, you know, seven eight rounds, and really f- waiting on starting pitching for a while, just because I know what I'm getting from certain guys while they're on the field. They may be injury risks, but you know, if they're injured, I don't have to worry about dropping them or or what have you, because I can know I can just funnel in some some healthy arms. One pick of yours that got a lot of talk throughout the rest of the weekend, really, I remember like Derek Cardi said he loved the pick and that this guy should be going, you know, if he does sign with a team here in the States, he should be like a top three-round pick, Shohei Otani. And you, you provided some insight saying that he would have dual player cards on CBS. I had not seen that. It's just an interesting, unique case. Where do you think Otani ends up settling, uh, say, mid-March? uh so much you know i mean this this is either going to look like a hell of a pick or he's just going to be completely useless right because it it all depends on whether or not he comes over i think if he was signed at the time of this draft you would have seen him go in maybe the fourth round fifth round something like that uh but i think there was too much of a discount based on the uncertainty here i think even with us not knowing whether or not he's coming over, he still needs to go in the the ninth or 10th round just based on the upside, especially in a format like this. And he fit in perfectly with my approach where I was still trying to hit high upside, high strikeout pitching without taking one in the first five rounds. And and, and Otani has a chance to finish the year as a top 12, top 15 overall starting pitcher. So I might be getting my ace in the 14th round, which allows that strategy to to play a lot better. I, I think it just totally depends where he signs, when he signs, but could be a guy that ends up going as high as the fourth or, or maybe, I don't think he goes in the third round. Um, even like Cardi, I mean, I think he was sort of saying that a little bit for effect. I just don't see him going over guys like, uh, you know, Chris Archer without proving it on the field, but uh, I could see him going fourth, fifth round after he signs for sure. Yeah, Otani's certainly not a reach, especially because people were already buzzing about him and where he might go well before you ended up pulling the, the trigger there. Uh, but you did mention some of your reaches. My big reach, Ozzy Albies. I said on Twitter that I was going to be, and I'm a man of my word. Look, uh, I think I got him in like the seventh round. Really believe in the, the batting average and speed. I think the, the power is just kind of the cherry on top, but I think it will be there. Uh, just speed on the decline league-wide, middle infield spot. And second base, especially, kind of clearing out a little bit. So I was happy to get Albies, his organizational an organizational mate, though, getting back to him, Ronald Acuna. What do you think of what you actually saw? I know late he was looked a little gassed, but I think what we saw early was pretty encouraging. I mean, we didn't get to see, you know, the, the first night when we saw him, uh, let's see, that was Thursday maybe. Um, he, you know, he he – hit some really hard balls that just stayed in the park. Uh, there was a game on uh, Friday where he was playing in Peoria. It was just a little too far for us to drive, given the rest of our schedule. And then, of course, he, he hits one out in that game. Uh, I wasn't – I mean, there wasn't – there's just nothing you could really take from – he didn't do anything to, to help or hurt his value. Uh, 
yeah, like you said, in in the last game we saw the game after the Fall Stars game, he did kind of look like he was ready to go home, but that's that's understandable as well. The the two the two notes I'll just kind of pass along on him. Um, I mean, he he did struggle a little bit against breaking balls away, but that's just it's a it's a nineteen year old. He's he's gassed, kind of impatient a little bit. Not not surprising, but that 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 was an issue for him. Uh, and then, you know, I heard from some evaluators that were a little concerned at how he was never left at any one level long enough to allow the pitchers in that league to make adjustments to him. Uh, I think that that, you know, it's it sort of makes sense, but for a guy like Acuna, I just don't really care about that. I mean, he's he's so special. I mean, I, I don't buy into the idea that if they'd left him at double a all year he was all of a sudden going to struggle at double a actually think he might have gotten better as the year went on um i do think i mean like it, it's not gonna be surprising at all to me it shouldn't be surprising to anyone if there's like a six week two month span in the season this year where he goes through some growing pains as pitchers start to adjust to him i mean that you kind of have to factor that into the price like i'm, I'm not paying for batting average when i took ronald Cunha in the eighth round this year i'm paying for what I think to almost be a lock 2020 season if he stays healthy. Yeah, one of the scouts who spoke at the event did caution that this guy is not polished yet. You know, not a surprise at that age, or maybe some peaks and valleys, but uh, the consensus really seemed to be that he was, you know, even after we saw him struggle a little bit, that he is a, a special talent, really pr- pretty much the consensus top prospect in baseball, but not too far behind Victor Robles of the Nationals. Really impressive speed, but anything else about his skill set uh, stand out to you? No, I mean no, nothing, nothing noteworthy. I mean, he just he looked like the player I expected him to look like. He was showing all five tools at times. I mean, he's he's the case could be made. I think that if you really wanted to, that he's a better real life prospect than Acuna. I don't think you can make a case he's a better fantasy prospect, but uh, such a such a great defensive weapon in in center field with that that plus plus arm that I think if you really wanted to you could make that case to me the more interesting debate for fantasy is whether he's the number three prospect or Elo Jimenez is the number three prospect uh, I'm giving Robles the, the edge there just because of the speed like you said in in today's game it's just so hard to get guys that are going to steal 30 plus bases and help you in adding average and power uh, a lot of the times if you want that speed it's going to come at the expense of those categories. So I think Robles gets the nod there for me. But, um, you know, he looked good. We, we didn't get to see much of him, though. Kyle Tucker, interesting player, very talented. But I was a little surprised to hear that you know, there are some caution flags here, maybe not real, really red flags, but maybe some yellow flags uh, with his swing. You know, it's very, very long swing. The, some of the mechanics may be a little awkward, but you think Kyle Tucker makes it work and uh, thrives at the big league level? Yeah, I, I mean, he'll, he'll probably have some growing pains. You know, I, I think he's working on his approach right now. He got a little too pull heavy at Double A this year. He needs to get that back to more of an all fields approach, like it was at Low A. Uh, I think you'll see the the strikeouts uh, tick down once he gets that under control. But um, you know, this is a guy that's going to contribute in all five categories. I think uh, we heard that you know, possibly the reason he was sent here. I mean, you always, I think when you're at the AFL, it's always important to kind of get an idea or at least get a hypothesis about why each player is there because there's there's all kinds of reasons 
Uh, for Tucker, it might have been to showcase him as a potential trade candidate. And, uh, you know, the, the logic behind that is you're, you're going to get more, you know, assuming they're, they're, they might be looking to acquire a pitcher, you're going to get more for Tucker than you are Derek Fisher because, you know, while Fisher is big league ready, Tucker's just got a higher upside, uh, especially from a real-life standpoint because of his outfield defense. Uh, I think, to me, I've always kind of dreamed on Tucker slotting in to that lineup and probably somewhere in the top five spots along with that that big four they currently have. That'd be great from a accounting stat perspective. You know, from an immediate fantasy perspective, maybe a trade allows him to get everyday at bats sooner. Uh, but I also think that that we're we're so we're still a long ways away from that being a reality. I mean, you don't move a guy like Tucker unless it's the perfect trade for the perfect guy. So that that they may have been showcasing him. If they were, he didn't really help his case. <laughs> he hasn't had a great AFL, but I know his his main uh, objective here or there was to work on his approach, and he's not really too worried about the the stats. Another thing that you've kind of cautioned about for a while, but others were talking about it too, is that you know. That guy's not a very fast guy. Don't expect big stolen base numbers at the major league level, but you know, over fifty combined in the minors over the past two years. Do you think it's better to bet on like ten or so than even like fifteen? Uh, that's. I mean, that's another area where you know, if he gets traded, that could change because I mean, some teams are going to let him run as much as he wants. If if you're a rebuilding team, especially, I the speed. It's not plus speed. Um, but he's a really good base dealer. He's got that uh, you know ability to get good jumps, um, go on the right pitch. So I think early on, I think you you can expect fifteen to twenty steals from him. Kind of uh, you know, I mean, we, we've seen Will Myers put up some twenty plus steal seasons. He's not a plus runner either. He just kind of has a has a knack for having decent decent success on the bases for for his speed. I think you'll see that from Tucker. But yeah, I think six seven eight years down the line it's it's going to be mostly a, a four category profile and Corey ray we've talked about his struggles a lot over the course of the, the year and i think maybe the most discouraging thing that i saw was the mental error he made in the fall stars game not tagging up from third on a what, what should have been an easy score for him just the kind of player that when your things are going poorly you want to see them really be on top of things mentally and to see that error was a little discouraging are you really all out on Corey ray uh, not all out, but you know, I, I, he's probably not going to be in the top 200 when that gets updated. Uh, a guy that I think, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are in leagues where you keep around 200 prospects and you might have to make some tough calls this time of year as to who you're going to take into the season with you, who you're going to throw back. Uh, I don't even think... I, I'd have no problem throwing him back in, in that shallow of a league. If it's a really deep league, you probably got to hold on to him because, you know, he, he could reestablish value. I just think the one thing I'd heard about him coming into the fall league was that he just really struggles with even just plus velocity, not not plus plus or, you know, I mean, like 95 miles an hour, he's going to have a hard time catching up to that. That was exactly what I saw. Uh, he got one hit. Uh, I think it was on, I want to say it was on Mitch Keller. And it, the only reason he got a hit was because Keller hung a hung a breaking ball. I mean, he had him completely fooled. I, I, 
I'm, I'm not, I can't remember if it was Sheffield or Keller, but um, he was completely behind on the premium velocity and then they did him a favor and, and threw him a breaking ball he was, that he could catch up to. Uh, the rest of the at-bats, he looked completely overmatched. I just don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I know people, Brewers fans especially, are going to want to say like, hey man, you can't read so much into the Arizona Fall League and all that stuff. It's like, okay, fine, let's throw out the Arizona Fall League. Look what he did this year uh, before the Arizona Fall League. It wasn't impressive. Uh, just he's kind of a guy for me there's there's guys littered in at high double a AA with his kinds of tools that have have plenty of issues and I, I don't think he's very special guy that you've been in on for a long time and that's why you need a rotowire sub if you don't have one it's because james updates his top 400 all the time it's a constantly evolving list and we're really the only site that offers that but luis urius was a guy that you were moving up with regularity throughout the year and probably even in the off season. Homered in the Fall Stars game, really impressive, turning around high velocity at a tough spot in the zone to catch up to it, and got to one. Really impressive plate skills. Who knows what kind of power ceiling there is. I don't think we could put a, a cap on anybody given the, the new ball. And yes, I'm saying that definitively, the new ball. Uh, but Luis Urias, really impressive from what I saw. How high is he now in your top two, uh, 400? Uh, so I, the, the piece I have going up either, it's either going to go up Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Um, I spend the first half of it just talking about Luis Urias and, and how we can value him for dynasty leagues. Cause I think it's really difficult. I think, I think a lot of people up until this point have been kind of punting on, you know, praising him as a dynasty league asset, just because it's hard to get excited about a guy that hasn't shown much in terms of power or speed. But I, I don't think people can really argue anymore that whether or not this guy's hit tool is special. I think he's he's proven at this point that it is special. Uh, just, you know, I, I mentioned um, to George Bissell on, on Twitter, like I, among guys who I've ranked in recent years, his, his hit tool is up there with guys like Corey Seager and Vlad Guerrero Jr. It's just where you know, how high can we rank a guy like that when he's not even a lock to hit 15 home runs? He's definitely, uh, I, I don't see him ever stealing double digit bases in a season unless the Padres just give him complete free reign to go whenever he wants, regardless of how often he's successful. Uh, so I, I did, you know, I crunched the numbers a little bit um, on what DJ LeMahieu earned this past season in 15 team leagues. And, you know, he was worth 16 bucks ahead of guys like Javier Baez, ahead of Matt Carpenter, uh, ahead of Gene Segura. And, you know, if we were in a normal power environment, he would have been worth even more because there were guys, you know, ahead of him that were surprisingly effective at hitting home runs. Uh, so, you know, I think you're going to see, even, even without the help of course field, you're going to see Urias start posting, uh, DJ LeMahieu esque numbers as soon as 2020 or 2021, at which point he'll be 22 or 23 years old and have six or seven years left in his prime. I mean, I think that that that's a valuable player, even if it's only in batting average and uh, runs scored. And like you said, I, we don't even know what the cap on his power is. I mean, we, we've seen guys like Jose Ramirez, Elvis Andrews, uh, Jose Altuve, Francisco Lindor all completely blow by anyone's realistic power expectations for them. Those guys are all around, around the same size as Urias. Uh, I just, I, I think, 
we can't bank on him becoming a 15 to 20 homer guy, but it would be foolish at this point to say with confidence that he won't be able to do that. So, uh, go, when I went to Arizona, I had him ranked, uh, 44th overall. Haven't really gotten a chance to decide where I'm going to end up slotting him after that look. It might be kind of in the, you know, late thirties, something like that. I, I, I definitely recognize that you don't want to just bet all in on a hit tool because, you know, we've been disappointed in the past, but I, I think it's time for people to sl- stop sleeping on him. One guy who made an impression on me really the first day we were there, um, Austin Riley. Now, he had a nice season, but I you know, was kind of taken aback a little bit by just the, the build. A lot, of, a lot of big guys, you know, you'll see down there, but I, the, the backside, you know, I'm an ass man. Um, <laughs> just very sturdy, just looked like a big leaguer. I know maybe there may be some concerns that he's a little too big. I mean, he's listed at 6'3", 220, but uh, I think he showed – you know, decent athleticism and some of the scouts that, that were at the conference kind of agreed and said that he's going to be a big league regular. What was your takeaway with Austin Riley? Yeah, this is a guy that I, I've moved up. Uh, I got to see him right after he got promoted to double a this year and, you know, he looked good, but got a, got a much longer look at him in the AFL and, uh, I love this guy. I, I moved him up to 28 overall, right right behind guys like Brennan Rodgers and Walker Bueller. I mean, I'm I'm that excited about the skill set. I think that the the Brave, you know, back to that question of you know why was he sent here? I think the Braves think he's close, and you know, so close that he might be their everyday third baseman as soon as you know June or July. Even though he, he ended the year at Double A, and I don't see any reason to you know, after what he did in the AFL, I mean, that they're going to be aggressive with him. I think, uh, it's, I'm not sure where the batting average settles, but I mean, it's definitely 25 plus Homer power, kind of a traditional third baseman's body, like a, a 1990s third baseman's body. Yeah. Uh, it's my wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. That's everyone's got a type. I like, <laughs> I like the five, nine second baseman. Clay likes the, the third baseman with the big butts. Um, that is my type. And yeah, I mean, if he hits, look, he, he could hit 260, 265 and still be plenty fantasy relevant. I mean, that that's kind of what Kyle Seeger done, had done for, you know, four or five years. Or he could hit 275, 280, at which point you're talking about a guy that's that's offering, you know, Travis Shaw type of production. I think it's, it's a pretty exciting profile. I love the fact he's going to get to play half his games in Atlanta. Um, also like the fact that he numbers really improved after he made that jump to double A. Yeah, he's people I think have been tempted when they just look at the body uh, to think that he's going to have a lot of strikeout issues. I just don't see that. I mean, he he just really has a plan in the box. He's not trying to do too much. I think that that that's really what stood out to me is the fact that he's not he's not selling out for power. He's he's all about just production and a lot of that production manifests itself in over the fence power, but He's happy to just take the ball the other way, settle for a single. Uh, just a really good baseball player, and and he he really moved up in my mind after this this longer look. Another third baseman that we got to see, Michael Chavis of the Red Sox. He too, I mean, even more so than Riley, a lot of hard contact. Even the outs were were laced pretty well. Had people buzzing in the stands at the Fall League. Obviously, there's not a clear path necessarily right now, but. Um, 
maybe first base is an option this this year if if it comes to it. Do you think we see Chavis uh, maybe in midsummer? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's very uncertain right now. Um, I think it's that they they might have a trade coming, maybe even a big trade coming. It depends. You know, the, I think they want to address uh, either DH or first base, maybe via free agency. Uh, you know, if they want to get involved on on someone like John Carlos Stanton, then there Chavis could be either moved or maybe a guy like Devers gets moved and Chavis plays third base. I think in a dream world, Chavis is your second baseman. He doesn't have the greatest range, but I think he could be kind of a you know, we, we heard some outlandish comps on him, um, but I, I I think he's Brian Dozier without the speed, and I think that the body is very similar to Dozier. I think he could kind of play the same type of second base. So that's that's the dream situation. Obviously, it probably doesn't happen if he stays in Boston because they have Pedroia locked up for way too long. Uh, I mean, that, that deal's not looking great. I think he's locked up through like 2021 or 2022, so... Yeah, I think you're looking at a guy that could play at the corners, a guy that could get some DH run. If he doesn't get traded, the Red Sox could still chop him again at you know at the deadline or something if he's putting up monster numbers at double A AA or triple A. So it, to be determined on where he ends up. But uh, the power is the top tool, and I think he hits 265, 270, which is, which is fine. Now, Francisco Mejia... <laughs> Of the Indians, he looks a lot smaller than I expected. Uh, I mean, he's not listed at a high, you know, you know great height or anything, five ten, but he just didn't seem as big as I was expecting. But throwing that out, uh, the fact that he's playing third base in the fall league, coming off from behind the plate, uh, not during the regular season, but here as kind of a test run, what does that tell you about Francisco Mejia? Well, it's it's a tough situation to really say with confidence what's going on because you know he's you you touched on how small he is probably would be stupid to to send him out and and ask him to catch for another month after uh after his his full season but yeah i i've never heard great stuff about the defense i know there are people at the conference that seem to think he had uh, good enough skills behind the plate to stick there i don't really buy that I don't think the way the Indians have kind of treated him over the past year plus doesn't lead me to believe that they think he's a capable defender back there. You know, they they traded him to the Brewers. That one ended up getting reversed. But, you know, if you think a guy is a good defensive catcher and he's got his hitting ability, I don't think you would include him in that type of trade. I also don't think you send him to play third base in the AFL if you think his future is behind the plate. So to me, it's it's really concerning. I think he's a, his best fit, if you're not going to play him at catcher, is second base. Um, so I would I would have liked to have seen him get a trial there. Uh, but if he's not if he's not going to be eligible at catcher, that's a huge huge ding to his fantasy value because his you know his hit tool is good, but it's not it's not Luis Urias good. And the power is debatable. I mean, just like any any players is today, but it's just it's such a more exciting profile if if he's catcher eligible. And at this point, I think that that's fifty fifty at best. Josh Naylor of the Padres, fun player, 
was fun getting to see him. I know you took some unflattering stills uh, at the game, which, which, you know, good for a good laugh. But it, I was pretty impressed by the, the way this guy runs. Of course, legged out that triple we saw and you know, beat out a you know sloppily fielded ball, but ran pretty well. But at this guy's age and that size, is it even realistic to think that he's going to hold up over even, say, like a seven-year major league career? I mean, we need to get some kind of sports science data on this guy. I mean, I, I've never seen a fat guy, a guy that fat, run that fast. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm, I'm pretty fat, too, but he, I know he would outrun me by, like, if we were doing, like, a 40-yarder, he'd, he'd probably, like, uh, complete the 40 by the time I got to, like, 25 or something. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, uh, it reminds you sort of of, like, a, a fat college running back or, like, a fat... NBA player who, you know, still has his athleticism, but his body hasn't given out on him yet, like a you know, tractor trailer, Derek Coleman, mm-hmm. that type of guy. Uh, I mean, just, uh, you know, a marvel to watch a guy that, you know, I mean, he might be like a, a 44 uh, in the in the waist. And, you know, he was he was booking it from home to third. But like you said, it, it's not going to stay that way for very long. So he's got to start tapping into the, the raw power that everyone's been talking about since he got drafted. And it's kind of clear that he's he's having a hard time getting to that power in games because I think he, he loves that he has a, an ability to get the bat on the ball and is more willing than maybe he should be to, to settle for singles and doubles than to... You know, I mean, for him to profile at first base, he's going to have to start hitting 25, 30 homers. And I know he can do – I know he has the tools to do that. I just – I don't know when that happens. He's, he doesn't walk like you'd like a first baseman to walk. He, he's pretty pretty intent on, on getting bat on ball early in the count. So there's – it's just not the type of first base profile I like. I like <laughs> – Call me crazy, but I like my first baseman to hit for power and, and get on base a ton, and he doesn't really do that. So he's he's not he's not a guy that I'm really in on, but he's he's still like a top 150-ish prospect for Dynasty Leagues. One guy who's had a, a tough go in the fall league, didn't look particularly good when we saw him, and he, he is among the, the leaders in strikeouts in the fall league. Estevan Floreal of the Yankees system. thought it was interesting, though, that what the scout who spoke at the conference said that you know, maybe he, it's possible he was told, and maybe he had some inside info of this, that Florial was instructed to take more pitches and try to try to work things and, and improve when he was behind in counts. Did your opinion of Florial change whatsoever, even with those struggles? Yeah, I just I, I it became clearer to me that his ETA is you know about two years away, and I think that. You could have you could just look at his his player page and see that he got up to high A and um, or did he get up to double A? Uh, I think he only got up to high A. But uh, yeah, either way, like you could look at the the growth he had this past year and say, well, maybe this guy is just kind of on a fast track. You know, maybe he'll go two levels per year and and get to the big leagues and maybe early 2019. I don't see that being the case. To, to me, There's he's got enough to, to straighten out in terms of pitch recognition, uh, you know, waiting for his pitch. Uh, it's The tools are insane, but it's just he, he's clearly not even close to being able to handle uh, 
big league pitching. And that, that was kind of the thing that stood out. The tools are still very, very real. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going to rank him. I might end up moving him. Right now I have him 24th overall. Uh, I might end up moving him closer to, to 30. But he's he's still – the tools are so intense that you have to hang on to him in almost all dynasty leagues. Yeah, and one thing just kind of generally about outfield prospects is – you know, talking so much about how outfielders at the major league level are, are a dime a dozen, I may personally just start inherently discounting some of these outfield guys who don't have elite standout tools. I mean, Florial, maybe this well-rounded skill set is enough to, to vault him up a little bit further than I'm expecting, but uh, I just, I'm just i going to find myself discounting those guys a little bit more than I have in past years. And and I think, yeah, I mean, I think the outfield thing is, is huge and doesn't really get talked about enough. I mean, we were talking about it at lunch one of the days just about where are these outfielders even going to land like who even needs outfielders right now every team seems to have Mm -hmm. more than they know what to do with and one thing I would consider with Florial the hype around him is intense enough right now that if you if you have a team that that's going to compete this year and in 2018 2019 I'd be willing to move him in, in a deal even if it's for even if it's just for like a 30-year-old guy or 31-year-old guy where you know the production's going to be there, I don't mind cashing out on him right now. I think, obviously, if you're rebuilding, if you're not you know, realistically going to contend for the title this year, you got to hold him, I think. But uh, not a guy – definitely within the realm of possibility that his fantasy stock is as high as it's ever going to get right now. Yeah, hopefully nobody in Staff 3 is listening because I'm going to go that route, try to pawn him off. Uh, but Justice Sheffield, Mitch Keller, two guys who pitched in the Fall Stars game. Among those two, who did you like more? <laughs> uh, don't really like either of them. Uh, I feel Fair like I'm, I feel like I'm pretty low on both of them compared to everyone else. I mean, everyone was just raving about Justice Sheffield. I think people were getting a little overboard there. Uh, I still see a, a guy that uh, is going to give up too many home runs. Um, you know, maybe he's maybe he's Gerald Cotton. Maybe he's you know even uh, we heard a, a Marcus Stroman comp. Even if he's Marcus Stroman, like that's not a a rock solid fantasy pitcher. I mean, Marcus Stroman gets gets hit hard at times. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan. I think he's a number four, and I'd, I'd be very hesitant to project him as much more than that, even though in short bursts, like three, four-inning samples, he was he looked pretty good in the AFL, and I think he generated enough buzz. Uh, I know Keith Law was pumping him up really high. Uh, there's enough buzz surrounding him right now that now would be, to me, a great time to try to try to flip him in a dynasty league. Maybe even just wait till all the offseason top 100s come out, and you can maybe even point to some guys that have ranked uh, ridiculously high. So that that's something I'd consider with him. Keller, kind of the same thing. I I don't. He's just one of those fantasy pitching prospects that we talk about all the time on the show. Where it's just be careful. Like this, you know. I want to tell you he's a safe number three starter, but there there's no such thing as a safe number three starter to me. And and the fact that his changeup is so far behind, he he struggled significantly to hold runners on base uh those aren't things that that he can't correct but i think that there's a lot of risk uh, a lot more risk at least i should say than a lot of places let on yeah and don't forget what organization he's into i mean you're gonna be playing that waiting game a lot if you're 
taking a flyer on him in, in single season leagues at any point next year. But Sandy Alcantara, impressive looking stuff, and he, he got a Latroy Hawkins comp. Now in St. Louis, I'm expecting Juan Nicasio to resign, but do you think Sandy Alcantara is a guy who could step into that closer role if not this coming season, then uh, maybe 2019? Yeah, I think he's going to be ready to close sometime this year. I, I actually, he's going to be a guy that I target uh, specifically in those draft and hold type of teams where you're taking 50 guys because I think he will be getting saves before the end of the season. Uh, probably going to rank him, even though I think he's kind of a lock to be a reliever, I might rank him in the top 200 just because I think his upside as a reliever is that high. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Edwin Diaz just from a, a physical standpoint and a velocity standpoint. Um, but, you know, he you know, he was touching 100 with ease in the Fall Stars game. I think that he's got a bright future as a reliever. Tanner Scott was lighting up the radar gun on, on Saturday. Any thoughts on, on Tanner Scott and his value? I think he is, you know, the Orioles might try him as a starter for a while. I think... Ideally, he's he's an eighth or ninth inning guy that just makes people look stupid with that fastball slider combo. Uh, but Baltimore also not an ideal place to be speculating on saves just because they have so many quality relievers. Absolutely. Well, anybody else that we didn't touch on that you want to shout out quickly? Uh, yeah. So I mean, the people you know always ask you know who really impressed you, who who stood out, and for the most part. Like I've kind of been saying, a lot of it was just sort of what you expected. Uh, I will say Sheldon Noisy was making a ton of hard contact. I I don't like his body. He's kind of stocky and strong and has that sort of softball player physique. But Every A's prospect ever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, yeah, it's it's, it's pretty loud power. Um, he's probably a year or so away from the big leagues. Um, but, yeah, also a lot of pressure on that bat, just given the defensive limitations. Um Alex Jackson can really hit. He's shown that this fall, but didn't love his defense in, in the short look we got. I think that you could see him stick in the minors for another couple of years as they work on that because I think that there's there's no reason to, to jerk him out from behind the plate now. I think you you have a guy that, that could offer you a ton of value if he makes it as a catcher and would kind of be replacement level as an outfielder. But if his if his defense... Uh, improves in the coming years he has the stuff to or the the offensive upside to be a top 10 catcher and then the guy that really surprised me was tj zoic of the blue jays uh big guy six seven i'd always just sort of heard that the stuff was kind of pedestrian and that you know maybe he'd be a number four number five starter uh just in this short look i thought he looked really impressive i'd also heard from chris welsh who's out there and has seen him more than i have that he's that he's been looking impressive all all fall so uh he'll be a guy that that wasn't going to be in the top 400 that that will be after after this i don't know where he's going to be might not even be in the top 200 but he's he's a lot more interesting than i thought he'd be before we went out there wouldn't be a prospect pod with me without me mentioning some Reds prospects. Well, I'll just mention one. <laughs> Brendan Bernardino in the Fall Stars game. I, I had some concerns about the, the delivery. It was kind of stop and start, a little wonky, but the curve was pretty impressive. Uh, so maybe Brendan Bernardino is a guy to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody else. So, yeah, Noisy was, was a good call. I forgot to mention him. But, uh, yeah, the bat did look very real. Anything you were listening to on the trip that uh, – 
you want to recommend to our listeners? <laughs> Uh no, I was I was mostly in a in a podcast zone um nice. on the trip. But yeah, I mean it's break from hip hop. Uh, I'm not sure if we're gonna do anything for, for next year. I know that that's that's big with a lot of our listeners. Um we'll try to maybe maybe think of something Figure but something out. uh we did. I mean I, I know some of our long, long time listeners would love to know that one of the nights after after drinking and poker we we put the put some wwe on as oh we yeah got back to our i made hotel. james watch the 92 rumble in anticipation of the flare 30 for 30 which they did show parts of during that uh classic sorry i made you do that though no i i there's not much i'd rather watch uh in a drunken stupor in my hotel room <laughs> than than early 90s wrestling matches hell yes I feel like i need to give my two cents on the woo album release the saga continues has come out since uh, our last pod. I'll say during my, the first like four listens, I was like, "Yeah, this is not very good." Next four, I was like, "Oh, this is all right. I'm coming around." And then the next four was just like, "Nah, it's fine. It's not particularly good. Too much Method Man. Too much Capadonna. Light on everyone else. Uh, you got not even featured at all. I think there's maybe one Ghostface verse, one Jizza verse, a couple Raekwon verses." few good songs, but probably their worst album by a country mile. Uh, still would give it a listen if you're a Woo fan, but that'll do it for us, guys. We'll be checking in occasionally throughout the offseason. Talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.